0: part one chapters three and four of dr doolittle's post office this librivox recording is in the public domain dr doolittle's post office by hugh lofting part one chapter three a great gunner and then began a most exciting sea race it was now two o'clock in the afternoon and there was not many hours of daylight left the captain after he had done swearing at the stupid gunner who had let off the gun by accident realized that if he did not catch up to the slaver before dark came on he would probably lose him altogether for this jim bones was a very sly and clever rascal and he knew the west coast of africa it is sometimes called to this day the slave coast very well after dark by running without lights He would easily find some nook or corner to hide in or double back on his course and be miles away before morning came so the captain gave orders that all possible speed was to be made these were the days when steam was first used on ships but at the beginning it was only used together with the sails to help the power of the wind on this vessel h m s violet the captain was very proud and he was most anxious that the violet should have the honor of catching bones the slaver who for so long had been defying the navy by carrying on slave trade after it had been forbidden so the violet steam-engines were put to work their hardest and thick black smoke rolled out of her funnels and darkened the blue sea and smudged up her lovely white sails humming tight in the breeze then the engine-boy also anxious that his ship should have the honor of capturing bones tied down the safety valve on the steam-engine to make her go faster and then went back up on deck to see the show and soon of course one of violet's brand-new boilers burst with a terrific bang and made an awful mess of the engine-room but being a full-rigged man-of-war the violet was still a pretty speedy sailor and on she went furiously ploughing the waves and slowly gaining on the slave-ship however the crafty bones with so big a start was not easy to overtake. And soon the sun began to set, and the captain frowned and stamped his feet, for with darkness he knew his enemy would be safe. Down below among the crew, the man who had fired the gun by accident was having a terrible time. All his companions were setting on him, and mobbing him for being such a duffer as to warn Bones, who would now almost certainly escape the distance from the slaver was still too great to use the kind of guns they had in those days, but when the captain saw the darkness creeping over the sea and his enemy escaping, he gave orders to man the guns anyway, although he hadn't the least hope that his shots would hit the slaver at that distance now, speedy the skimmer, as soon as the race had begun, had come on to the warship to take a rest and he happened to be talking to the doctor when the order to man the guns came down from the captain. So the doctor and Speedy went below to watch the guns being fired. They found an air of quiet, but great excitement there. Each gunner was leaning on his gun, aiming it, watching the enemy's ship in the distance, and waiting for the order to fire. The poor man who had been mobbed by his fellows was still almost in tears at his own stupid mistake. Suddenly, an officer shouted, Fire! And with a crash that shook the ship from stem to stern, eight big cannonballs went whistling out across the water. But not one hit the slave ship. Splash, splash, splash. They fell harmlessly into the water.
1: The light's too bad,
0: grumbled the gunners. Who could hit anything two miles away in this rotten light? Then Speedy whispered in the doctor's ear
1: ask them to let me fire the gun my sight is better than theirs for bad
0: light but just at that moment the order came from the captain cease firing and the men left their places as soon as their backs were turned speedy jumped on top of one of the guns and straddling his short white legs apart he cast his beady little black eyes along the aiming sights then with his wings he signalled the doctor behind him to swing the gun this way and that so as to aim it the way he wanted fire said speedy and the doctor fired what in thunder's this roared the captain from the quarter-deck as the shot rang out didn't i give the order to cease firing but the second in command plucked him by the sleeve and pointed across the water speedy's cannonball had cut the slaver's mainmast clean in two and brought the sails down in a heap upon the deck holy smoke cried the captain we've hit him look bounds is flying the signal of surrender then the captain who a moment before was all for punishing the man who had fired without orders wanted to know who it was that aimed that marvelous shot which brought the slaver to a standstill and the doctor was going to tell him it was speedy but the skimmer whispered in his ear
1: don't bother doctor (laughs) he would never believe you anyway it was the gun of the man that made the mistake before that we used let him take the credit they'll likely give him a medal and then he'll feel better
0: and now all was excitement aboard the violet as they approached the slave boat lying crippled in the sea bones the captain with his crew of eleven other ruffians was taken prisoner and put down in the cells of the warship then the doctor and susanna some sailors and an officer went to the slave ship entering the hole they found the place packed with slaves with chains on them and susanna immediately recognized her husband and wept all over him with joy the black men were at once freed from their chains and brought on to the man-of-war then the slave ship was taken in tow by the violet and that was the end of mr bone's slave trading Then there was much rejoicing and handshaking and congratulation on board the warship and a grand dinner was prepared for the slaves on the main deck but john dolittle susanna and her husband were invited to the officers mess where their health was drunk in port wine and speeches were made by the captain and the doctor the next day as soon as it was light the warship went cruising down the coast again putting the black people ashore in their own particular countries this took considerable time because bones it seemed had collected slaves from a great many different tribes and it was afternoon before the doctor with susanna and her husband were returned to john dolittle's ship who still had her lights faithfully burning in the middle of the day then the captain shook hands with the doctor and thanked him for the great assistance he had given her majesty's navy and he asked him for his address in england because he said he was going to tell the government about him and the queen would most likely want to make him a knight or give him a medal or something but the doctor said he would rather have a pound of tea instead he hadn't tasted tea in several months and the kind they had in the officers mess was very good so the captain gave him five pounds of the best china tea and thanked him again in the name of the queen and the government then the violet swung her great bow around to the north once more and sailed away for England, while the blue jackets crowded the rail and sent three hearty cheers for the doctor, ringing across the sea. And now Jip, Dab-Dab, Gub-Gub, Tutu, and the rest of them gathered around John Doodlittle and wanted to hear all about his adventures. And it was tea-time before he had done telling them, so the doctor asked Susanna and her husband to take tea with him before they went ashore. This they were glad to do and the doctor made the tea himself and it was very excellent over the tea susanna and her husband whose name was begway were conversing about the kingdom of fantippo
1: i don't think we ought to go back there said begway i don't mind being a soldier in the fantippo army but suppose some other slave comes along maybe the king would sell me again
0: did you send that letter to our cousin yes said susanna but- i do not think he ever got it because no answer came the doctor asked susanna how she had sent the letter and then she explained to him that when bones had offered a big price for begway and the king had been tempted to sell him she had told the king she would get twelve oxen and thirty goats from a rich cousin in their own country if he would only wait till she had written to him now the king of fantippo was very fond of oxen and goats cattle being considered as good as money in his land and he promised susanna that if she got the twelve oxen and thirty goats in two days time her husband should be a free man instead of being sold to the slavers so susanna had hurried to a professional letter-writer the common people of those tribes couldn't write for themselves you see and had a letter written begging their cousin to send the goats and the oxen to the king without delay then she had taken the letter to the fantippo post-office and sent it off but the two days went by and no answer came and no cattle then poor begway had been sold to bones men chapter four the royal mails of fantippo now this fantippo post-office of which susanna had spoken to the doctor was rather peculiar for one thing it was of course quite unusual to find a post-office or regular mails of any kind in a savage african kingdom and the way such a thing had come about was this a few years before this voyage of the doctors there had been a great deal of talk in most civilized parts of the world about mails and how much it should cost for a letter to go from one country to another and in england a man called roland hill had started what was called the Biddy boostage and it had been agreed that a penny letter should be the regular rate charged for mails from one part of the british isles to another of course for especially heavy letters you had to pay more then stamps were made penny stamps two-penny stamps two-pence half penny stamps six-penny stamps and shilling stamps And each was a different color and they were beautifully engraved and most of them had a picture of the queen on them some with her crown on her head and some without and france and the united states and all other countries started doing the same thing only their stamps were counted in their own money of course and had different kings and queens or presidents on them very well then now it happened one day that a ship called at the coast of west africa and delivered a letter for Koko, the king of antipo king Koko had never seen a stamp before and sending for a white merchant who lived in his town he asked him what queen's face was this on the stamp which the letter bore then the white merchant explained to him the whole idea of penny postage and government mails and he told him that in england all you had to do when
1: you wanted to send a letter to any part of the world was to put a stamp on the envelope with the queen's head on it and place it in a letter box on the street corner and it would be carried to the place to which you addressed it aha said the king a new kind of magic i understand very good the high kingdom of antipo shall have a post-office of its own and my serene and beautiful face shall be on all the stamps and my letters shall travel by faster magic than any of them
0: then king of fantippo being a very vain man had a fine lot of stamps made with his pictures on them some with his crown on and some without some smiling some frowning some with himself on horseback some with himself on a bicycle but the stamp which he was most proud of was the tenpenny stamp which bore a picture of himself playing golf a game which he had just recently learned from some scotchmen who were mining for gold in his kingdom and he had letter boxes made just the way the white trader had told him they had in england and he set them up at the corners of the streets and told his people that all they had to do was put on one of his stamps on their letters poke them into these boxes and they would travel to any corner of the earth they wished but presently the people began complaining that they had been robbed they had paid good money for the stamps they said trusting in their magic power and they had put their letters in the boxes at the corners of the street as they had been told but one day a cow had rubbed her neck against one of the letter-boxes and burst it open and inside were all the people's letters which had not travelled one inch from where they put them then the king was very angry and calling for the white trader he said
1: you have been fooling my majesty these stamps you speak of have no magic power at all explain
0: then the trader told him that it was not through
1: magic in the stamps or boxes that letters travelled by mail but
0: proper post-offices had mailmen or postmen who collected the letters out of these boxes and he went on to explain to the king all the other duties of a post-office and the things that made letters go so then the king who was a persevering man said that
1: fantippo should have its post office anyway
0: and he sent to england for hundreds of postmen's uniforms and caps and when these arrived he dressed a lot of black men up in them and set them to work as postmen but the black men found the heavy uniforms dreadfully hot for fantippo weather where they wear only a string of beads and they left off the uniforms and wore only the caps. That is how the Fantippo postman's uniform came to be a smart cap, a string of beads, and a mail bag. Then, when King Koko had got his mail bin, the Royal Fantippo Post Office began really working. Letters were collected from the boxes at street corners and sent off when ships called. The incoming mail was delivered at the door of the houses in Fantippo three times a day. The post office became the busiest place in town. Now, the peoples of West Africa have curious tastes in dress; they love bright things, and some Fantippo dandies started the idea of using up old stamps off letters by making suits of clothes out of them. They looked very showy and smart, and a suit of this kind made of stamps became a valuable possession among the natives. about this time tooth, in the civilized parts of the world, one of the things that arose out of all this penny postage business was the craze or hobby for collecting stamps. In England and America and other countries, people began buying stamp albums and pasting stamps in them. A rare stamp became quite valuable. And it happened that one day, two men whose hobby was collecting stamps came to Fantippo in a ship. The one stamp they were both most anxious to get for their collections was the Tuppenny Hypenny Fantippo Red, a stamp which the king had given up printing for the reason that the picture of himself on it wasn't handsome enough and because he had given up printing it it became very rare as soon as these two men stepped ashore at fantippo a porter came up to them to carry their bags and right in the middle of the porter's chest the collector spied the two-penny-halfpenny fantippo red then both of the stamp collectors offered to buy this stamp and as each was anxious to have it for his collection before long they were offering high prices for it bidding against one another king koko got to hear of this and he called up one of these stamp collectors and asked him why men should offer high prices for one old used stamp and the white men explained to him this new craze for stamp collecting that was sweeping over the civilized world so king koko although he thought the civilized world must be crazy decided it would be a good idea if he sold stamps for collections
1: much better business than selling them at his post office for letters
0: and after that whenever a ship came into the harbor of fantippo he sent his postmaster-general a very grand man who wore two strings of beads a postman's cap and no mail-bag out to the ship with stamps to sell for collections such a roaring trade was done in this way that the king set the stamp printing presses to work more busily than ever so that a whole new set of Fantippo stamps should be ready for sale by the time the same ship called again on her way home to england but with this new trade in selling stamps for stamp collections and not for proper mailing purposes the fantippo mail service was neglected and became very bad now dr doolittle while susanna was talking over the tea about her letter which she had sent to her cousin and to which no answer had ever come suddenly remembered something on one of his earlier voyages the passenger ship by which he had been traveling had stopped outside the same harbor of fantippo although no passengers had gone ashore and a postman had come aboard to sell a most elegant set of new green and violet stamps the doctor being at the time a great stamp collector had bought three whole sets and he realized now as he listened to susanna what was wrong with the fantippo post office and why she had never got an answer to the letter which would have saved her husband from slavery. As Susanna and Begway rose to go, for it was beginning to get dark, the doctor noticed a canoe setting out toward his ship from the shore, and in it, when he got near, he saw King Koko himself coming to the white man's boat with stamps to sell. So the doctor got talking to the king, and he told him in plain language that he ought to be ashamed of his post office, Then, giving him a cup of china tea, he explained to him how Susanna's letter had probably never been delivered to her cousin. The king listened attentively, and understood how his post-office had been at fault, and he invited the doctor to come ashore with Susanna and Begway, and arranged the post-office for him, and put it in order so it would work properly. End of Part 1, Chapter 4